Ronaldo is ready. Strikes. Welcome back into Crossing Broad FC, your home for all international football talk. I'm Russ Joy, at Joy on Broad on Twitter, joined as always by the fantastic, the prognosticator of all soccer. That would, of course, be the great Phil Kaidel, who you can find on Twitter at Phil Kaidel. That is K-E-I-D-E-L. It is not hard to spell. It's Phil Kaidel. We have a ton to cover today. We've got Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A recaps, as well as Champions League. The U.S. men's national team took 13 months to hire a guy that many people thought was going to happen. And of course, the reign, the the absolute stranglehold that Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi have held on the Ballon d'Or for the last 10 years was broken. And we're going to talk about that. I think a much deserved victory. Uh, we'll get to that later in the show. But uh, Phil, how are you feeling this weekend? Uh, did you have did you have a, a wonderful weekend taking I- in some football? I had a terrific weekend taking some fo- football. Thanks very much for asking. It's always a pleasure to be with you here on our show. Um, I would say that we should start in the Premier League because the Tottenham Hotspur Arsenal match was, as they say, a great advert for not just Premier League, but football in general uh, for disinterested folks who might have switched it on by accident or might have been tuned into it by a friend of theirs or somebody who said you should check this team out this was a great match um Mm -hmm. arsenal four spurs two uh at the emirates it had about just about everything you would want and i think that's a good place to start all right well let's let's uh let's hit it well so arsenal gets out to a one nil lead on a penalty that spurs probably thought was a little bit rough because uh jan vertonghen stuck his arm out uh, as the ball was crossed into the box, but it was a penalty. There's no question about it. It was a properly a card, and the, the penalty gets converted. And before we went on, we talked about how Tottenham Hotspur has this uh, kind of thing about it where people say, that's so Spursy, this history of failing from successful positions. Well, they flipped that script because Spurs went up 2-1, um, and they hit with two quick bang-bang goals toward the middle to end of the first half at the Emirates. And now you're looking at Arsenal, they're home, they're down one in the North London Derby. And is this going to be a situation where the air comes out of the balloon and all the good things that Unai Emery have, uh, has put in place are going to fall to the side and Spurs are just going to take their lunch? Probably not, though, because if you know about the history of this Derby, Spurs have not had very much luck away to Arsenal in this Derby in the last two decades. And sure enough, the accumulated toll that Tottenham Hotspur had put on their legs by winning a Champions League match about four days earlier uh, against Inter Milan came a cropper, as they say, because Arsenal answered with three goals in the second half, uh, a couple of beauties, by the way, and claimed a 4-2 victory over Tottenham, uh, continuing Arsenal's resurgence not necessarily into the upper tier of the Premier League, because that's really resided in right now by Manchester City and Liverpool. But certainly, they're out of that morass of the like fifth through eighth place that Wenger had them in for the last three or four years. Arsenal are now definitely a contender for the top four. 
and they are a club that you can rely upon to provide open, interesting, and compelling football on a week-to-week basis. And here's another thing that tells you a lot about where Arsenal are headed. They did this against Spurs over the weekend, and Mesut Ozil wasn't even involved. So I like where Arsenal are going. I still love what Pochettino is doing with Spurs. I don't think this result is an indictment of Spurs at any level because, again, they're washed. I mean, their depth is not such that they can compete on multiple fronts the way that uh, ownership at Tottenham Hotspur wants them to compete and always bring it every game. That's probably not reasonable to expect. Uh, I might also add very quickly that in my Premier League picks column on crossingbroad.com, I did pick Arsenal. So I was very pleased with this result. I was very happy to talk about it. Any thoughts you have, you can just jump right on in. Well, I'm just really proud of you. I'm proud of you that your your column worked out. Um, you know, the point that you made about Arsenal playing this kind of open open style and, and it being pl- pleasing to the eye uh, is definitely true. Uh, uh, Boma Young, I think, has, to a, a large extent, taken a, a lot of what made him successful at Dortmund, and he's given them a reliable guy up top to uh, to finish clinically, you know, at least one of his goals uh, that came out to the outside of the 18, and it was a one-touch and it, a beautiful curve to find the upper 90, um, was just a, a clinical strike, uh, quite frankly, a, a bit of skill that not a lot of guys in the world can do. And I don't think I would put Aubameyang in like the top ten forwards in the world, but um, you know he's a guy who in in spurts can he's get top a little ten bit in the prem in in the prem he is yeah. Um, but he he's a guy who I think you know going forward if you're an Arsenal fan you have to feel a lot better uh, of of you know seeing him up there than you did with Olivier Giroud and I think even uh, you know obviously guys like Theo Walcott or whatever. But um, I, I think it's been nice, especially if you're an Arsenal fan to kind of get out from under that that crippling weight of Arsene Wenger. And it's really not that much weight at all because the guy was gaunt looking. He probably weighed about 70 pounds, even though he's like, what, 6'4", 6'5". Um, anyway, um, Arsenal, I, I think it's been a, a nice kind of turnaround. And, and yeah, you're right. They, they really are a threat to be in the top four. Um, right now, who would you say, uh, regardless of table, who do you think your top four right now are? It doesn't have to be in any particular order, but... Who do we put up there? Obviously, First of all, City, City's up there in Liverpool, but... I have to take this opportunity. Je ne suis pas is I am not. Yeah, je ne sais pas Yeah, I know. Je ne sais pas. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Very good. So let's just straighten that out right away. That's well, the one time... Je ne suis pas ta mère. That's the mother. one time I'm going to get over on you in terms of language, and it'll oh, never happen again. You know what? I have to apologize, by the way, for anybody who listened to uh, our appearance, our crossover appearance on uh, It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid, who graciously had us on uh, to talk about the Mario Balotelli thing. Uh, and the Philadelphia Union rumor. If you didn't hear it, go back and, and listen to that show. I mistakenly, stupidly, I don't know what I was thinking in that moment. I said the word um, parlare instead of giocare. And I, in, in Italian, that's the difference between saying to say and to play. And that was just very stupid. Well, technically, and speak, Kevin got to very to angry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As he always yep. does. Yep. There we are. You asked me uh, top four in the league. Well, I think the league as it stands right now is a fairly solid representation. Really, it's top five. It's City and Liverpool are head and shoulders above the rest of them. Chelsea and Arsenal and Tottenham are not catching either Liverpool or City in my estimation. Uh, Although we'll get to Liverpool in a little bit. Um, But those are the top five right now. And Arsenal and and Spurs are uh, tied at 30 points uh, in fourth and fifth. One of those two is going to make the Champions League places. One of them is not. 
after that, it's just a mosh. It's Bournemouth and Everton and Man United and then Leicester and Brighton. Like, you can just throw a blanket over those teams. They're all about the same, really. And I know you're going to say, how can you toss United in with the likes of Bournemouth and Everton and even Leicester City? Well, I just did. Uh, Buddy, I'm Man not going to question that. I well, can Man tell United, you the one reason that you put him in, in that category, and it's Jose Mourinho. Well, and after, after City won this afternoon, we are recording late Tuesday night, City's lead over United is 19 points <laughs> in early December. That's outrageous. I mean, United would need the season to go on for about four years in order to catch City at this point. And if anything, it would go the other way and City would lead them by 200 points. Um, so that's where this league is at. Um, I will say that I wish it were a little bit more competitive. I wish it were a little closer. But... I think it's a credit to both City and to Liverpool that they have uh, squads and sides and depth that they don't get caught up in the uh, washing machine that a lot of these lesser clubs get caught up in where they have three or four weeks where they look unbeatable and then they have two weeks where they fall apart. City and Liverpool are really consistent, really solid. I will say that Liverpool have ridden their luck a little bit, which we also get to in a second, but... On balance, City and Liverpool are the class of this league. Chelsea are certainly deserving of their third-place spot and will probably give Liverpool a really good run for second. And I think Arsenal might very well put Tottenham away at some point in this season and relegate Tottenham to fifth place because, again, this situation that was uh, presented in the North London derby where Arsenal and Tottenham were playing and Spurs had played recently and, and... uh, Arsenal had the opportunity to rest and go out there at their best. That's going to replicate over the course of the remainder of the season. Even if Spurs doesn't make the Champions League knockout stages, if they're in the Europa League, they're going to beat some teams up. They're going to have to play a lot of midweek matches that Arsenal won't. So Spurs are at risk, I think, of not finishing top four, and it's not the worst thing in the world for either Spurs or Arsenal in that regard. You want to know why I'm, I'm pretty convinced? I, I know that City is is more talented, deeper, all all things considered, um, more fun by, to watch by by pretty much every uh, measurable statistic. They Score are a superior goals. club to uh, every team in the EPL. I will say that the reason that I think that Liverpool is probably the the only team that can really stand up to them is you know in their careers head to head, and that would be you know Klopp. Uh, a lot of that time was Klopp at Dortmund and and Guardiola at um, Bayern, Klopp has delivered the most uh, losses to Pep Guardiola with eight. They've gone head to head in fifteen matches, uh, and Guardiola is only five two and eight in those matches. So, um, five wins, not really that impressive. But the the eight losses to Klopp's teams is is pretty remarkable, especially for a guy who, for the most part, has an unparalleled resume um, and list of accomplishments. Look, I, I think if it comes down to the last few games of the season, um, and I'm not looking at the table right now, so I, I don't know uh, when the last fixture is between those two teams, but in theory, if it's if it's close and you're getting down to the, the final few matches, like, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be incredible theater going forward if one of the last weeks of the season with you know maybe only six points or something separating the teams or four points or whatever separating the teams or or whatever wouldn't it be great to see a head-to-head matchup of of Klopp and Guardiola you know when you look at what happened in um Liverpool's victory over the weekend um 
you know, they get a, a stoppage time victory. Uh, it was, uh, um, was it Van Dyke? No, it was, uh, I, I don't remember who scored the goal. Um, but Klopp ran out on the field. Oh, you're talking about Origi. Yeah, Origi. This was that this was past yeah, weekend yeah, yeah. in, yeah, in the Merseyside derby, which yeah, we yeah. will get to. Um, you know, when, when you look at the, just in theory, in terms of disposition uh, of, of each of these managers, you know, Guardiola, there could be a, a last-second goal, and Guardiola's just going to kind of nod. Uh, that might be the most expression he will show, and it's all because of expectation and, and him believing that he was better prepared and had his players better prepared. You're not going to see much out of Pep. Um, he'll probably rip into his team at halftime or post-game for letting it get to that point. But like Klopp, on a uh, you know stoppage time goal, runs out to midfield, hugs his goalie, and then comes back over to the sideline, looking like you know somebody who had just invaded the pitch. So, I mean, I, I don't know if there could have if there could be a better final matchup uh, going down the stretch of the season. I think it would be great, great theatrics and all that. So, well, I hate to be the guy to bust your bubble, but I'm going to bust your bubble for you if that's okay with you. Go ahead. Uh, Man City play Liverpool the second time in this Premier League season on January 3rd, right in the humpy uh middle of the holiday right period where in they're in the humpy yeah where they are jamming matches in left and right over in england during the holiday period uh, you know because it's warm it's because, warm no, in january it's in not england. a question of weather russ it's a question of people having off from work having disposable income um having the ability to attend matches and let's be honest the fact that the players have not done a very good job uh, telling ownership that we won't play, you know, three matches in seven days or four matches in eight days, which is a lot of the times what these clubs are being asked to do, especially when you talk about FA Cup matches being jammed into these uh, situations. I'm, I'm looking at City's schedule here. They're playing Palace on December 22nd, Leicester on the 26th, Southampton on the 30th, and then Liverpool on January 3rd. That's a lot of football to play in league in a very short period of time. And the Liverpool match comes at the end of that run at the Etihad. And that's an enormous match, as you've just indicated. But unfortunately, we're getting it right in this thick end, if you will, of the holiday period. And I'm not even sure that both managers will be able to put out their best 11s in that match because they'll probably lose some guys to injury in the matches that precede it. And they also have will have uh, thoughts in the near term after that of what the Champions League is going to bring. So it's regrettable. I'd love to see this City-Liverpool match, uh, this rematch, if you will, being set for some time in the spring. But we're getting it January 3rd, whether we like it or not. I just enjoy every time that we get together. And, and I finally have something that gives me a little bit of hope, a little bit of a, a glimmer of, of what could be. And you just uh, you pee in my Cheerios. Facts are such a misery. They I are. know. You, you so usually trade in something different than facts. They are like so fake news. Excuse me. Um, was there anything from the Liverpool game that you wanted to get to? Yeah, you... very much so. Okay. So, first of all, you enjoyed and thought that the Klopp pitch invasion after Origi scores an impossible match winner, by the way. Can we talk about the match winner? So, Virgil van Dijk... That, uh, yeah, go ahead. Virgil van Dijk shanks a ball into the penalty area. And he hits it so poorly. And by the way, it's like you know 95 minutes and 20 seconds in, like... The whistle should have been blown 40 seconds before, but, you know, obviously it's at Anfield, and so they're going to get the extension of the time and whatever. 
Van Dyke shanks this ball so badly that if you watch the replay, he turns away in disgust because he realizes that if that ball floats out of play like he thinks it's going to float out of play, that's the end of the match. It's a draw. Liverpool had the better of the play for most of the match and really felt like they should have won long before that. So Van Dyke is disgusted and he's turning away and huffing and like shrugging his shoulders and all that. So he's not even watching what's happening next. The ball floats onto the bar of Everton's goal. And Jordan Pickford, who is listed at six feet tall, but is probably a lot closer to like five, ten and a half, he starts leaping up onto it, trying to tip it over the bar, except he's not quite tall enough. He's like a child who's trying to tiptoe in order to get onto a roller coaster. And he reaches as, hard, as high as he can, but he doesn't get there. The ball bounces on the bar, it bounces on the bar again. Somehow it steers itself back into the field of play where Origi nods it in or chests it in or shoulders it in. I can't remember exactly which part of his body he did to knock the ball into the net. And that's your winner. And then Jurgen Klopp, which I know you enjoyed, but to me uh, does not mark him with uh, dignity or grace at any level, comes flying out on the pitch as though he's won the World Cup or the Champions League or uh, some other enormous prize. Instead of winning a match that he was damn well supposed to win against an inferior opponent by a miracle. And that really is the dividing line. You made mention earlier that if Guardiola had been the manager that this goal had gone in for, he would have shrugged it off or been nonchalant. Well, okay, but I'd rather have that than some guy who treats this fluke as something to celebrate. If anything, Jurgen Klopp should have looked at that ball going to the net and said, yeah, that wasn't deserved. That wasn't right. That never should have happened. And, uh, you know, almost go over to the opposing managers and say, look, I'm really sorry. That was not the right result. You guys earned this draw. And then that ball did that fluky thing. And I know we got the three points today, but on balance, it should have been we, we shared the spoils. Come on. I don't Phil. I don't have a lot of time Phil. for Klopp. I don't have a lot of time for Klopp as you can tell. I don't I don't have a lot of time for Klopp and his antics, okay? I really don't. That is the oldest old man take you've ever had on this show. I just like it the really, way Guardiola goes about his business. That's how I feel about it. That's great, but like he should be excited. It's it's the derby. Like why would you not be excited in that moment? Cuz it's a junk goal. Who cares? It's a fluke. Who cares? You won the game. His team could not deliver the goods for 95 minutes against an inferior opponent at home. Again, I say, who cares? You ended up coming out on the right side of it. It's a rivalry game. It's a That's, great moment. That is it not job done to me. Well, it might not be the job well done, but it, it's the job being done, period. You still got the points. Like the idea of walking across... And shaking the opposing manager's hand and just, you know, saying, hey, you know what? You guys deserve to uh, to split it here. Like, no. No. You play to the final whistle. Hello? You play to win the game. The Anfield faithful love Klopp for what he did, I'm sure. But I'm telling you. I think most that of the soccer not, world did. That's not an indicator of a manager who is probably going to win a Champions League or oh even a Premier League with God. that club. Come on. How about that? Come on, you can't. You can't. I'm putting my marker down. You can't I'm telling you, like you they will not win the Premier League with Klopp as a manager. Okay, well they came close last year. <laughs> close. I'm Good sorry. When's that. the last time Pep got to a uh, Champions League final? 
How long ago was that, Phil? It wasn't last year. I know that. Well, no, it, it certainly wasn't. Who, who did he manage last year? He managed City, and they lost he, to Liverpool. He did. And then prior to that, he had managed the, uh, the German juggernaut at Bayern Munich. <laughs> couldn't uh, Remember couldn't the, when them. they were good? Yeah, that was fun. That was, that was a long time ago. That was fun. Uh, when is the last time Pep was in the Champions League final? We're going to have to look this up now because it's uh, it's been so long, Phil. But by all means, continue to bash. Here's a broadcasting Klopp. tip. You're if, just if upset. You're gonna, if you're going to pose a hypothetical or, or I don't something need to know. be proven. I don't need to yeah, know. Do the research before you throw it I don't it need there. to know. It's okay. Right, fair enough. It's okay. Fake news. Um, all right. Let's continue on uh, as we go through this. Um, in the show sheet here, just to give people an idea, Phil puts a lot of work into the show sheet. Hence, he's the producer of the show. Um, of course, he wants to talk about the fact that City um, beat Bournemouth because we're supposed to care because City. Well, that was over the weekend. Because City continues to, uh, you know, uh, curb sleepwalk, stomp the league. Sleepwalk, That's right. Sleepwalk, uh, put out exhibition lineups, put in, you know, Joe Schmo off the street. Um, Joe the plumber apparently is going to be lacing up the boots for the next game. So that's exciting. Um, do we do we really have to talk about City and Bournemouth? Because I'd prefer not to. No, we won't. I mean, especially since uh, when I put this together, um, my thought was we wouldn't talk about the Bournemouth match because I knew they were going to go out and beat uh, Watford today, which they did. Um, and that changes the analysis of their lead in the table. Uh, if all it does is extend it. So now they're up five on Liverpool. They're up 10 on Chelsea. They're up 11 on Arsenal, 11 on Tottenham. Is there anything else you need to ask me about uh, Man City through 15 matches? They have 45 goals for and seven against. Their goal difference is positive 38. They are 13-2-0. Anything else you want? Oh, by the way, they're also qualified to the knockout round of the Champions League, and it's December 4th. Anything else you want? Because we could be here like all afternoon with this. Well... No, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, afternoon well. is also funny, as it nears midnight, Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> oh, my God. That was our secret. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Good one. Okay. The only thing I wanted to talk about before we leave the Premier League is, and I sort of alluded to it earlier, so Man United are, are just drifting. Uh, that ship be sinking, as they say. And Jose Mourinho is a disaster. And, and every match, it's a new question of how he's going to possibly submarine his own side or come up with a result that nobody understands and sure enough they go and play Southampton this weekend Southampton are terrible okay they're a disgrace and Mark Hughes was their manager uh, at the beginning of the match against United he no longer is Southampton with the draw against Manchester United this weekend uh, managed to get themselves right now as we speak into 18th place in the Prem tied with Burnley on nine points And the joke that has been thrown out there uh, too many times by too many pundits is that Mark Hughes got fired because he didn't beat United. And of course, you know, a long time ago, it used to be if you lost United, that was the expected result. But now it's not like that anymore. And with that, we will go forward. Um, We have some La Liga news to discuss, which is that uh, Barcelona reclaimed the lead in the table with a 2-0 win over Villarreal, resting the top spot. Not from Real Madrid, who you might expect Stop to be leading. Stop attacking my team. I'm sorry? Stop, Stop attacking my team. Well, I enjoy uh, little, noting the little, fact. A little side-eye. Well, sure. I mean, look, here again. Last weekend, Sevilla, very, very briefly, led 
La Liga after they 13 did. matches. That's not something anybody would have bet on before the season started. Nope. Uh, now, Barcelona got it back because they beat Villarreal. And, of course, uh, you know, Sevilla couldn't stand prosperity, obviously, and, and have dropped back. But, yeah, you, this is your league. This is your team, Real Madrid, and this is the league you love to talk about. Tell me why I should be tuning in to La Liga right now. What is what is it that I should be watching or looking for in terms of the best football in the world in La Liga? Go ahead. I don't know if I would say that the best football in the world is taking place in La Liga, but I would say that there is a certain level of parity that exists right now in La Liga that typically doesn't. When you look at the top six, you got Barca, Sevilla, Atleti, Alavis, Real Madrid, and Levante, right? Um, in the grand scheme of things, like, yeah, you would expect Barca and Real and Atleti. Alaves doing what they're doing is mind-bending. Um, they're only four points off of first. Uh, Sevilla, as you mentioned, had already, um, at one point, held the top spot in the table. Levante at, at, at six is also a little bit surprising. Um, maybe the, the story of the season so far is the fact that Athletic Bilbao is all the way down in 18th. Um, Rayo Vallecano uh, and Huesca, who were both promoted last season, are um, absolutely dreadful hanging out at the bottom of the table. Um, I would expect that to continue. But when you look at, at this top six, especially, uh, you know, even if you wanted to drop Levante out, you know, you're looking at some teams here that are only separated by five points. If you expand it to sixth or, uh, well, technically, Six and seven and eight all have 21 points. That would be Levante, Espanol, and Girona. Um, although they say Girona, I don't know why. Linguistically, it makes sense, but yeah. Um, even if you went to ninth, they're only separated by by eight points um, from first to ninth. And and there's a, a certain level of, um, you know, we had thought that Barcelona was going to be this inevitable, um, unstoppable force, and an injury to Lionel Messi kind of threw that into uh, a little bit of doubt for a while. Now that he's returned, I would expect Barcelona to kind of go into uh, autopilot mode for a while. Real, you know, with, with Solari managing the, the team, you know, they've, they've, they originally started off with, I think it was five wins, um, and then had a, a little bit of a, a jaw-dropping defeat that they, uh, they suffered. But they, they did right the ship this past weekend, uh, taking down Valencia. Look, I, I think, you know, anybody who came into the season expecting to see uh, Real Madrid go out and, and challenge for another Champions League title would have been, you know, selling you a fake bill of goods. I, I, I don't think this this was ever going to be a season to see them um, challenge. It's a shame in a sense, though, because by letting go of, of your best player in Cristiano Ronaldo and then failing to replace him with anybody of substance, I mean anybody, they went out and made no major acquisition to even attempt to replace his productivity. You know, I don't know if that was because they thought they were going to be able to try to pry Kelly Mbappe away from PSG, but that obviously didn't happen. I don't know if they thought that they were going to be able to backdoor deal and get Neymar in, uh, as had been rumored all throughout the last transfer window. But you know, they never managed to replace his production, and it's a shame in a sense because there really is a, a window to strike, or at least there was. And you think about for as rough of a season as, as Real Madrid's had to this point, you know, firing Julian Lopetegui uh, a few games into the season, especially um, it was the, the El Clasico defeat was the final nail in his coffin. 
you think about all the kind of adversity that team has gone through. They're only five points off the lead. Now, if I actually believed in them enough to uh, make up this gap, I would I would tell you, but I, I don't see it. It's this kind of weird situation that Real finds themselves in that nobody's really used to seeing from this team, and, and most of that is based around the fact that there's a youth movement of sorts that's been happening in, in recent years with guys like Asensio and, uh, to some extent, like Casemiro. I think they're they're just a team right now that's trying to find their way, and they're kind of waiting for that big acquisition that's going to shore things up. Kareem Benzema still um, not playing at a level, or, or at least in terms of his finishing and, and putting goals up. He's not there, and I don't know if we're ever going to see him get back to um, – being a, a real legitimate goal-scoring threat. Um, it's not his game. He, you know, we've talked about this before, Benzema, for the the most part, would clear open the lanes to, that allowed Cristiano Ronaldo to have uh, simpler, closer, uh, um, higher percentage chances on goal. So I, I don't know. I, I just think they're kind of in, in a weird spot right now. And I think ultimately they're going to be okay. Like, I, I think that they will have a decent showing in the Champions League. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't finish top four in La Liga this year, which would be a shame. Um, but, you know, you're you're one or two acquisitions away from maybe making this thing a little bit tighter at the top of La Liga. Um, but right now, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to expect from them. And I also don't think that Solari is the guy going forward that needs to manage this club. I think it, it was just kind of a panic move. And they wanted to make sure that they kept somebody who was, uh, you know, going to be more of a Zidane and less of a Lopetegui. And uh, that's that's kind of where we're at with, with La Liga. But, you know, we always talk about the fact that these other leagues don't really have um, any kind of real intrigue because we know how things are going to go. Like Juventus right now, for example, is up eight points over Napoli in Serie A. And if you look down that table, like... There's practically nobody else who's in striking distance. Like AC Milan, Inter Milan, they're they're both double digit points off the lead. Lazio. Roma is Helen gone, by the way. In What's that? Roma is Helen gone from the top. Like they're they're, yeah, they're never getting Roma's there. Roma's in seventh, and right. and they're twenty points behind Juve. So like, right. If you were gonna look for a league to kind of get behind and to you know think that maybe week in week out there's some kind of intrigue, like it's it's got to be La Liga. It kind of scale has of to one be. to ten, real fast. What is the Rafinha injury for Barcelona in terms of concern? One being it's going to be fine. Ten being oh god, we're screwed. I, I guess it's kind of like a, I would say like a seven. That I was think, going to be exactly the number I picked, and we did not talk about this before we went on the air. But yes, I yeah, think I think it's, it's seven. I think it's a seven because I think it's it's a big enough injury that it's going to throw off the way that they play. There, it's going to take an adjustment period to get you to to get back into the swing of things without him. He's an important player. But they have so much top-level talent, and their top-end talent, led, of course, by Lionel Messi and Luis Suarez, is enough, uh, in terms of finishing at least, to be able to you know propel them to likely finishing, if not at the top, maybe you know top two worst-case scenario in La Liga. So That's a greater concern for them going forward because he's a young guy. And I and think it's... That's a building block, and, you know... We'll see how he comes back from an ACL injury. Uh, some guys come back full on, and some guys aren't ever the same. So for Barcelona, that's a real concern. It's a, you're right, though. It is a long-term injury, uh, a long-term injury concern if he's able to bounce back. Although we've seen enough in American sport to know that ACL tears and reconstructions are, are practically run-of-the-mill at this point. But we'll see. I mean, you are right, though. There are there are long, um, long-standing kind of concerns going forward for it um 
I, I don't think it's going to do enough to deplete their depth where it's going to, you know, run them into a, a tough spot, even balancing a, what should be a long run in the Champions League this year. So with you as a, a Real Madrid supporter, and yeah. again, not something that we talked about before we went on the air, but I, I feel confident you'll give me a great answer here. January transfer window coming up. Uh, if you have the purse strings and the decision-making authority at Real Madrid, what are you trying to do? You, you need to get somebody to, to get some goal scoring in. There's just no doubt. Like at, at this point, they just don't have a clinical finisher on the team. I mean, Gareth Bale is probably your biggest threat offensively, but, you know, I, I think in the midfield they're solid enough. I mean, they have the Ballon d'Or winner in, in Luka Modric, but my fear there has been that Modric, you know, prior to this season had mentioned uh, or it had been rumored that he might have wanted to make a move to Inter Milan and, you know, Real might have blocked it, essentially. Um, you know, I don't know, in the next transfer window, if if Real's like sixth or seventh in the table, does Modric try to move? Does he try to force a move out of out of uh, the Bernabeu? Like, I don't know if he does. And if that happens, that actually ends up blowing this whole thing open because that is a guy that you just simply cannot replace uh, last minute in, in the transfer window. But I think if you're... If you're Real right now, if you're the president, Florentino Perez, and, and you're really looking for something to improve this team's chances, you've got to get somebody who's at least somewhat clinical in their finishing. Because well, along the lines of what we have been discussing, have I got a name for you? Mario Balotelli. No, nope. He's no, available. No, 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 no. He wouldn't cost no. you much. No. No. Proven scorer in Europe. No. Premier League champion. No. All right. I want to see this say no. No. Absolutely not. It will never work. He would get eaten alive. They would whistle at him from the second he comes onto the pitch until the second he leaves. That's a different issue. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, he – there's no way. There's no way that would work. No, I know. We talked about this on It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia with uh, with, with Kevin. But, like, I still can't wrap my head around the fact that Balotelli is only a month older than I am. It feels like the guy's been in the game for like 12, like he's 28, 20, 20 and years. They talk about him like he's 34. Exactly. Yeah. I, I compared That's him. Weird. I said, I said on that show, he's kind of like the Italian Josie Altador because it yeah. feels like he's been here a lot longer and it feels like he had all this potential and he's never really realized it. Um, Balotelli, Although I think, I think just Balotelli's to address just kind that, of a flame I think he's going to eventually be a guy who just goes to China and makes a ton of money. He's going to be like the Stefan Marbury of the uh, soccer that's world. a really good call there i like that thank you to address the comparison between uh, josie and balotelli though what i say balotelli Did has I say jose josie no no i, I said oh, okay whatever josie altador we know who we're talking about just to address this com- comparison between josie altador and mario balotelli balotelli has more talent in his pinky finger than altador has an entire body i mean altador is a worker and a big strong body and a guy who can post up for lack of a better phrase in the 18 and in or the six and make some hay balotelli when he was 21 22 years old was looked at as somebody who could really be one of these revolutionary talents he had all the flicks and tricks he had all the body control and he was super strong and he could jump and he could head the ball he could do it all i don't think he just i just don't think he wanted it ultimately is the problem and that's what you've seen in all the flame outs that balotelli has had across europe and it's a shame because at 28 we really shouldn't be writing him off but Ultimately, you are what your record says you are, as uh, I believe it was uh, Parcells said many times. If you're going to make a reference, you should know. Balotelli's 
I and I did it. I came through. Uh, Balotelli's record proves him to be what he is, which is ultimately a disappointment, which is why he would fit right in at Real Madrid. Okay. See what I did there? Hmm. 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 Interesting. No. Absolutely. Bundesliga? Yeah, Bundesliga. Let's let's get on with this. So, um, Dortmund and Bayern both won. Uh, Dortmund Dortmund has, has really kind of thrown this whole thing into a little bit of chaos now, haven't they? Uh, I, I think after... Guys like Dembele and Aubameyang moved on from Borussia Dortmund uh, last season. I, I I don't think a lot of people expected them to be at the top of the table. And um, this Bayern Munich team, regardless of, of the results right now, they do not look like the German juggernaut that they've been for the better part of the last decade. Um, they're nine points off the lead right now. They're fourth in the table behind Red Bull Leipzig, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, and uh, Borussia Dortmund, and and only a point behind, or only a point ahead of Eintracht Frankfurt. You look at this thing. Dortmund has continued hot play. Uh, we mentioned on the last episode that you know it it really was a, a pretty thrilling finish uh, against Bayern Munich in Der Klassiker. If if you look at it though, Dortmund haven't shown uh, really any weaknesses at this point. They're yet to lose in league play. Uh, they're ten three and and zero. They've got a po- a goal differential of of positive twenty four. They're just absolutely running teams off the field at this point. And in the grand scheme of things, like it's it's an interesting thing to see um, them kind of topple Bayern off the top and to do it in a really resounding way. You know, whereas in in La Liga, it feels like you know Barcelona got wounded when Messi went down, and now there's this parity and there's you know, four or five points apart. Like Dortmund has absolutely thrown teams into a blender and then put their foot across Bayern's throat when they had the chance and did not let Bayern get closer and, and you know, close up this gap a little bit. So that's what it's I'm really at. as simple as this. Dortmund are doing more with less and Bayern are doing less with much, much more. Uh, I'm not going to try and do a voice like you can do voices because you're great at it and I stink at it. But what if I I told you that Bayern Munich had Lewandowski and Mueller and Robin and James Rodriguez and David Alaba and Neuer in goal and Frank Ribéry and Jerome Boateng, and they still had all those players still performing at a level, still contributing. None of them are like injured or uh, unable to be called upon. Frank Ribéry also in that group. Um, And what if I told you that group after uh, 13 matches played, only had 24 points and had lost three times in a relatively nondescript Bundesliga. Can we agree? This is not a Bundesliga that is stacked with uh, world-beating teams. It's a lot of Leipzigs and Hoffenheims and Wolfsburgs and Mainzes, right? Like Bayern should have had many chances to just pluck three points by rolling the ball out, showing up being who they were and winning. And it's not really happening. And by the way, they got run by Dortmund. So it's early to call it, obviously. I mean, nine points uh, is not an insurmountable lead with the amount of time that's left in the season. But also, the things I've referenced earlier about Bayern's need to exert themselves on multiple fronts, they're going to have to go through and try and compete uh, in the Champions League to the best of their ability. Um, You know, they're already qualified for the knockout round. And 
by virtue of who they are and their history in that tournament, they will probably get a, a walkover or more or less a walkover in the round of 16, the Champions League. That stuff matters, especially when you're an older team, which is a, a point I've made many times. Bayern is not a young group of players. So the more I look at this, the more I think this might be the year uh, that the normal service in the Bundesliga just doesn't happen. The train's not going to run on time. Bayern is not going to wake up in three weeks or five weeks, flick the switch, and become a juggernaut that wins 15 in a row and reclaims what is, quote-unquote, theirs. It might not be that way this time. No, you're totally right. You're absolutely right. Um, you want to move on to Serie A for a little bit? Absolutely. So, Serie A... Juve, Napoli win. Uh, as I already mentioned, Juve's up so big at this point. If there's a league that you can probably turn off for the rest of the season uh, and have an idea of who's going to win, Juve's going to win yet another Scudetto. I don't even think it's close. Um, they actually have a bigger lead right now than PSG does uh, over the next few positions um, in their table, and everybody knows that Liga is an absolute joke uh, outside of PSG. So... Um, they're not even worth talking about, but you look at it's not just Juventus being who they are and as good as they've been. Thirteen and one is nothing to sneeze at. That's really pretty good. And by thirteen and one, I mean thirteen wins and one draw. They're still unbeaten uh, in the league. It's who they're who's chasing them is the point here. Like Napoli isn't getting home on them from eight points back. Nope. And Inter Milan sure as hell isn't getting home from them from unless, eleven points back. Unless. They're able to get Luka Modric. Yeah, and that that's a huge things. if. Is Modric going to change clubs in January? You never know. Like I mentioned before, it's something that uh, had been rumored over the past uh, transfer window, uh, over the summer, that there was a chance that Modric could have left prior to this season and gone to Inter. So if the groundwork had already been laid for it and this was just kind of a, a moment of you know seeing how the season was going to play out to this point, um, yeah, it's not inconceivable. Let me ask you this, though, real fast. And I know we're uh, you know, jumping ahead or, or spoiling a, a subject we're going to talk about in, in a little bit, although I think you referenced Modric's Ballon d'Or. Is that conduct becoming a Ballon d'Or winner, especially a new Ballon d'Or winner, to uh, take his uh, shiny trophy and tell the club that essentially enabled him to become a Ballon d'Or winner and interrupt the dominance of... Ronaldo and Messi for all these years to tell them, well, you guys aren't very good this year. <laughs> we stink. So I'm going to jump over here and, uh, you know, uh, go to Serie A and good luck with that whole La Liga thing, boys. It's been a pleasure. That is not really the way I think Modric wants to leave a club like Real Madrid. Is that fair to Un say? Unless, and we don't know this for a fact, but un unless the conversation with the club prior to the season had been, I will stay around until we see how this goes, but I'm not interested in being part of a rebuild. So let's see how these. But it's not a rebuild right now. They're it still kind of in is, contention. It's, it's a build. It's a build on the fly. You just said that La Liga is there more or less for the taking. It is, but I don't think it. I don't. It's think a it is mosh with pit I of think, clubs. I think for Atleti, it's a, a little bit more winnable. Uh, they have a better chance of catching Barcelona than Real does. Not just True. because they're currently ahead of Real. But I, I think just because in general, I think they're built better right now to win now than Real is. I think it's an easier sell if, if Real Madrid are eighth than if they're fifth or fourth. Yeah. 
That's just me. You're not wrong. Well, not this time anyway. All right. So, uh, and you know, your boy, the guy that you love more than anybody, Cristiano Ronaldo is, uh, I've heard of him. He's leading the way. He finished second, by the way, in the Ballon d'Or vote. He did. It wasn't even close, though. It was uh, well, but that says something about it. Kind of reminds me. Points. It kind of reminds me of uh, Tom Watson finishing second in the British Open that one year when he was like fifty-eight years old. <laughs> you and your golf references, as if I'm going to understand. <laughs> well, I'm I'm also trying to bait you because I'm trying to equate a fifty-eight-year-old Tom Watson playing in the British Open to uh, look. Let me tell you CR something. I bet you Tom Watson would give anything in his power to look like Ronaldo does just for one day of his life. I think a lot of us would do a lot of things uh, and give up a lot of things we treasure uh, to even experience what it is to be Ronaldo for 24 hours, for yeah, sure. I pretty much get to do that every day. Right? <laughs> right? No. All right, let's uh, move on to the Champions you League. You look like the statue that they had to tear down. Stop. That's that's just hurtful. That's just mean. Come on, man. That's as close as you get to being Ronaldo is the statue oh, they had to tear geez. down and melt. All right, well. Uh, Champions League, Ajax, Atletico, Barca, Bayern, uh, Borussia Dortmund, Juve, City, United, Porto, Real, Roma, and Schalke are all in to the knockout stage. Uh, Inter Milan, Liverpool, Lyon, Napoli, PSG, Shakhtar, and Tottenham are all still in the hunt. Thoughts? Well, my primary thought, and we talked about this before we went on, is that Liverpool need half a miracle to get through. Uh, and make it to the knockout stage. They need to beat Napoli by at least two goals to clinch a berth in the knockout stage. And I equated what has gone on with Liverpool in this Champions League qualifying stage to what happens to teams when they lose the Super Bowl in the NFL. Um, And I hate to say that we have an example in the fair city that we live in, but I think we do. I mean, now, of course, the Eagles won the Super Bowl, but the point being, it's really hard to go on a deep run in a tournament like the NFL playoffs or the Champions League playoffs and then run it back and be as good as you were the year before. And it's especially tough if you lose it. Now, of course, the Eagles won it last year. But if you lose that game, that final, that chance to raise the trophy and be deemed immortal and we walk together forever, quote unquote, you lose it. It's really hard to just turn it on again and say, we can go right back where we were before and we'll get ourselves another chance. And you're seeing in Liverpool's Champions League exertions that it's just not the same. Um, Teams are ready for them. They are not as prolific in terms of scoring as they have been. And and I didn't talk about this during our Premier League uh, analysis bit, but Liverpool have not been a particularly successful team at scoring tons of goals the way Manchester City have been in the Premier League play. Liverpool, for whatever reason, don't seem to be able to put together these uh, 20, 30, 40-minute stretches where they hang three and four goals on teams at a clip. And it's costing them in Champions League because they're playing teams who can score against them. So, look, if Liverpool don't get through in this Uh, Champions League knockout stage, it'll actually do them a favor in terms of their chances to catch City in the Premier League because they will be dorking around in the Europa League. And look, Liverpool will play the Europa League matches the way a lot of clubs play summer exhibitions. They won't play their best uh, 11 in the Europa League. There's no need to. Um, So it would help them in terms of trying to chase City down in the Premier League, but it would be a 
kind of a black mark on your uh, superstar, megawatt, wonderful manager, Jurgen Klopp, if he turns a club who went to the Champions League final and got eliminated uh, and lost to Real Madrid after some shady dealings by Real Madrid during that match, if he turns around and doesn't make the knockout round of the Champions League, yeah, that's a black mark, and that's something Klopp will have to answer for. I just think you're looking for any excuse to uh, to knock down Jurgen Klopp, and quite frankly, I'm not here for a character assassination. Well, that's fine. Then let's talk about the latest odds. Man City are 10-3 to to win the Champions League outright. Barcelona are 9-2. to Juve are eleven to two, and Bayern and PSG are eight to one. Real Madrid are apparently Real Madrid are apparently in the field, crushing your city's uh, hopes and dreams. They have to get there. Who, <laughs> I Juve? mean, yeah, Juve's gonna I, get there. I think if Juve and City play in the final, Juve wins that match. I have no wow. question about that. Hold on, yeah, a Juve second. win that match. Whoa, whoa, that's a big concession on your part. Explain. Well, it is. I'll explain. City don't have a great Champions League history. Um, That's an understatement. Uh, As good as they've been for the last six or seven years, the furthest they've ever gone in the Champions League was under Pellegrini a couple years ago, and they lost to Real Madrid. Um, So if they were to find their way to a final and they had to go up against Ronaldo and Juventus, they don't, I don't think they can do it. And I don't think they could necessarily beat Barcelona either. Now, the, the truth of the matter is, I don't trust Barca or Juventus to get to a final this season because they're not, well, Juventus are better than Barca. Barca's not very good comparatively. Juventus can probably get there, and if Juve gets there, they'll beat City. The big point of this, though, is the odds reflect that while City are fallible and while City don't have a great Champions League pedigree, of what's out there, they are the most reliable, predictable product that you're going to get from a match-to-match uh, analysis. That's, I think, what those odds are telling you. And, oh, by the way, the odds will obviously shift based on what happens once the uh, knockout stage is over. Oh, pardon me, the knockout stage is finalized and the, the qualifying round is over. Once we know who the 16 teams in the knockout round are, the odds will shift again. Once we know who gets through to the eight, the, the odds will shift again. 10-3 to 3 for City is a very preliminary analysis of what could happen down the line. Um, but for now, I think what it tells you is it's not so much that City are so great, although I think they're terrific, but everybody else is kind of really questionable. I mean, you look at Bayern at 8-1. to one, How is Bayern 8-1 to one to win the Champions League? That's an outrage. For that matter, how are PSG 8-1 to one to win the Champions League? They've been brutal in Champions League year on year on year, and they still don't have any competition in Ligue 1. So I don't know how you can possibly trust them to go on and win a tournament like the Champions League against exceptional quality talent i don't see it yep i don't either i don't either um speaking of things that you don't see that i don't make sense that i don't see and that don't make sense go for it can you explain to me why it took 13 months for the u.s men's national team to make a hire and all they got well, because they, yeah they got tata martino didn't they oh uh, yeah the guy you mean the guy who happens to uh or well, currently, yeah, still happens to manage probably the best team in MLS who's right here, who understands how to navigate MLS, how to find young players from South America and, uh, and uh, you know, build, no, a, that brings build, an intensity. Build, build a team, an intensity, build an atmosphere, build a culture, right. 
find success, understand the travel and and all that of of the U.S. game. It's not like you just holds had players here, accountable right? for poor performances. Has developed. Great, I could go Has on. developed young talent and then sold them off for X amount times the uh, the initial investment. Oh no, great. no. Can it, we bring him in to sell Michael Bradley? Why did you have to bring the name up? <laughs> Why? I was having a nice because night. I just I just like to bring him up every time I get a chance it was to remind a really people nice he's night. the worst. He's the worst good player I've ever seen. So no, instead of getting Tata Martina, they get they got Burhalter, which is um, Greg with two G's, very tasteful. Yeah, did Greg actually? Dobbs, it's three did, G's. Did it's Greg... three G's. It's one up front and two at the back. Oh, you're right. Okay, wow, I like that. It's three it's, G's. It's the mullet of Greg's. <laughs> really so, is. Um, He's a, a Jersey native. He's obviously most recently coached um, at as the manager of Columbus Crew. But he played in World Cups with the United States, which is a nice who change of pace. Cares well. It took if them- you're looking for a way to be able to reach young players uh, who don't have a positive experience in the World Cup, and let's face it, that's essentially everybody you're going to be relying on. Uh, in the future World Cup years, nobody from these past uh, squads is going to be around to have any useful role. Although I guess po- probably in 2022, uh, Demarcus Beasley will still be running it right back. I-, I guess that's probably what's going to happen. He'll be what 46 at that point. Yeah. But other than him, um, you're going to have a bunch of young kids who have never had the experience of putting on the United States kit. And representing the nation, Berhalter's done it. He had a, a, a positive experience and a, and a good career as a U.S. soccer player. And so, in that regard, um, it's nice to be able to bring somebody in who has knowledge of the program and what it takes to succeed. Although this does have a very flyersy scent to it, doesn't no, it? No, it has it has a Colangelo scent to it, right? Because for those who were unaware, uh, Greg's brother Jay is the chief operating officer of yeah, U.S. I heard about soccer. That. And and like the the whole thing, U.S. Soccer said that you know uh, Jay Berhalter had had nothing to do. He had no role in the hiring process of his brother Greg. But like, let's be honest, it's not a it's not a good look. By no, it's means. not. And the fact that it took them thirteen months to make a hire. Well, and it also looks like the brother just held the spot open for the other brother, right? Yep. In other words, if this were a truly open competition. Apparently, I saw something on Twitter where there were like apparently Burhalter beat out thirty three other candidates, but nobody can name one of the candidates that Greg Burhalter beat out to get this job, which suggests very heavily that those are thirty three paper candidates, and in fact, this was an inside situation all the way along. Which again, not a great look for a program that is coming off the failure in Trinidad and Tobago, led by Bruce Arena, who was the ultimate inside USMNT retread and now what are we doing we're getting the the chair's brother to come in who happened to play a long time ago and he's going to coach this side and oh by the way his big claim to fame is that he led the columbus crew to playoff appearances uh, in mls hashtag save the crew well and here again klinsman was a pain in the ass i'm i'm not going to suggest otherwise but klinsman was right about one thing United States players were not getting better lollygagging around MLS and cashing checks and making their lives easy on themselves. Klinsman had that part of it 100% right. And if Burhalter is going to recommend that his top 
flight talent in terms of young American players be satisfied by going to Atlanta United or Seattle Sounders or goddamn Houston Dynamo. I'm not here for that, okay? These guys need to be going abroad. And it doesn't have to be the Premier League. I know I'm a big Premier League whore. But the truth is there are many leagues in Europe that are going to be far, far more competitive than what you'll see in MLS. And these guys need to go over there and get blooded so that when they come back and play for the national team, they're actually useful. I agree. I agree 100%. And I'm very worried that Burhalter is going to say, I came from MLS. I saw the level of competition. It's really good. These guys learn a ton. And I can take a whole bunch of guys who make a nice career for themselves, a la Michael Bradley, again, trousering checks and not working especially hard, and I can turn them into a club that can make it to a World Cup quarter. That's not what I'm here for. I don't care about that. Nope. So we need more. And it's too think, early to judge like Berhalter. This. He hasn't done the job yet. It's too early to judge him, but I have concerns. Here's the thing to to kind of maybe make a, a, a local analogy. So if you remember back when Ernie Stewart was still the uh was still running the show for the Philadelphia Union, he yeah, said I've heard of him. Remember he, he made the the comment along the lines of um he wasn't really about wins and losses and he, he mentioned the fact that organizationally they're their goal was to develop players for the men's national team. Uh, that was that was almost more important to them than winning games was. And I, I don't know, man. Like I, the way that I I view this thing is, it's not the responsibility of the men's national team to build up MLS. It's just not. Like you, of course, you want there to be competition in MLS. Of course, you want there to be a lot of American players getting playing time. And, and, you know, building that network up from the academy systems all the way up through MLS. But it's not your responsibility. It's just not. And, like, you want to talk about a guy like Michael Bradley, who was playing at a really high level when he was playing for Roma. And then he came back stateside and it goes up and plays for Toronto. And, like, was he tearing it up early on? Sure. But, like, everybody knows that the the skill on the on the pitch on both sides in MLS is just not the same. And so, like, if there ever came a moment where, like, Burhalter tried to get in the ear of Christian Pulisic and said, you know, come home, come back to the U.S. and play here, that that on its own would be grounds for firing. Hey, Russ, who is Atlanta United's best player? Now? I would say right now, who is Atlanta United's uh, most important Joseph player? Martinez or Almiron? I'll say Joseph Martinez. That yeah. That's my vote. You can disagree. Yeah. Where is Joseph Martinez from? Did he grow up in um, Colombia? Philadelphia? He's Venezuelan. Venezuelan. My point being, MLS has been traditionally dominated in terms of the clubs that win that uh, league in their final by clubs that spend money on external talent, designated players. Okay, I have not seen a lot of MLS clubs with homegrown talent uh, just storm the league and blow everybody else out. No, no, no. It's, it's always MLS clubs who splash the cash and bring in talents that just aren't available within our ranks as Americans. And we've had that conversation before about why we can't produce better American players. I don't want to do that now. All I'm saying is if Burhalter thinks he can make a super competitive, world-class, international, United States men's national team out of what we have on hand by letting them play in MLS, he's wrong. Well, since you brought up South America and MLS and all that, uh, it would be... uh, 
I, a good time to mention the fact that it looks like the Philadelphia Union might actually have found their uh, their international striker um, coming to them from Chile. Uh, 24-year-old Brazilian Sergi Santos went on to uh, Chilean radio, and um, I've been reading a, a whole bunch of uh, awful articles that are based on bad translations. But luckily, luckily, your lovely host here uh, does speak Spanish, and so when reading it... You don't say. He... Um, uh, Sergi Santos was uh, essentially offered um, a contract from a, a, a Liga, uh, Liga MX team and also from the Philadelphia Union. Um, the Liga MX team only called him on the phone. Uh, the union apparently had sent actual representatives. It might have been Ernst Tanner, who we knew was uh, out on an international tour of sorts looking, scouting for talent. And it's funny because... The one thing that I think has been consistent in, in the Philadelphia Union is their inability to scout South American teams adequately. And so seeing that they went out and, in theory, it looks like, hypothetically, tr- uh, it's rumored, although Santos himself went on to radio and said that he's going to sign with the Philadelphia Union. Uh, I guess until Penn is officially to paper, we just have to speculate. But the fact that you know, under Ernst Tanner, only a few months in, they've gone out and they found a, a kid in South America who uh, has some really nice goal celebrations, if nothing else. Um, that's slightly encouraging, right? If you're a union fan, maybe. A hey, listen, it's a good start. I mean, the reason why we did the show with Kevin, it's always soccer in Philadelphia, why we did our guest hit there earlier this week is because there was that rumor out there that Balotelli might possibly have an interest in playing for the union and or that the union might have an interest in pursuing Balotelli. Now, so far, it seems like that story is uh, stillborn. But the point remains. Um, you have this union club that can no longer realistically rely on C.J. Sapong to do the work that they need to score goals and who was outclassed, frankly, in matches against NYCFC and in the cup final um, because they just couldn't score goals. Um, ultimately... If you're going to bring Jim Curtin back, you had better not run out that same group you had the last two or three seasons and hope that you're going to get a better or different result. Because honestly, I you know, we've talked about this before, Curtin probably overachieved this past season. People don't want to hear it because it wasn't a great end of the season. But there was a point in August and September when they were in line to possibly host a playoff game, which would have been a, would have been a first for the franchise. And they, they were in that position up until the final game of the season when they that's blew exactly back, right. to get back-to-back to NYCFC. And they tallied an enormous number of points, and they produced a lot of great results, and they had a lot of great one-off individual performances and match results that gave a lot of credit to what Curtin was trying to do. And then it ended badly, and of course the next thing you think is, is Curtin going to get clipped? He didn't. So it's only fair of the union's uh, ownership structure and management. We've talked about how cheap they are, and I get it. But... You have a, a, a new uh, player personnel director or general manager, however you want to phrase it, who can find young talent that might not break the bank and who could at the MLS level be productive. It can only be a good thing. Uh, I'm not going to run out and get a jersey of this new striker, uh, but I wouldn't rule out the possibility that, you know, uh, my son's birthday is in May. Maybe that's what he'll get for his birthday. Hmm. That's pretty nice of you. Look at you. You know me. First ever uh, Sergi Santos jersey purchased by uh, one Phil Kaidel. All right. Well, uh, we... if he has five goals in May, I'd be happy to buy it. Good point. 
Um, so I guess pretty much almost last topic. Um, Luka Modric, we mentioned a couple times now, um, was the guy who ended up winning the Ballon d'Or uh, first time in 11 years that it was not won by either Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, who, by Did the way... Did you know who had won it before Ronaldo and Messi before I put it on the show sheet? Can I have a hint? Give me a hint. No, I mean, you're not looking at the show sheet right I'm now? not right now. I was oh, looking dear. up the, the vote tallies. All right. Well, I, I will give you a hint. He's Brazilian. Ronaldinho? No. Uh, elite playmaker for AC Milan. Mm. Widely considered one of the best players of his generation. He's mm. now 36 years old. Mm. He ended up somewhat sadly with Orlando City of your oh, Major League Soccer. That is correct. Really? Thank you. Very nicely done. Yes, Kaka. Kaka! Thank you very much. Kaka! Ballon d'Or winner Kaka, 2007 was the last one to lift that trophy before either Ronaldo or Messi until Modric lifted it in the last 36 hours. That's crazy. Uh, you're going to get on me for this, and I put it on the show sheet, and I don't even care. Um, I don't want to try to discredit an achievement like the Ballon d'Or, and I respect what Luka Modric I don't want to do it, but I'm about to do it. Full Not only – I've been told many times, never say but, because everybody discredits the thing you said before you use the word but. So I was very assiduously not using the word but in this analysis. So I'm going to tell you is, I'm not here to discredit Luka Modric's achievement. Winning the Ballon d'Or is winning the Ballon d'Or. No one can take it away from him. He deserved it. He earned it. And what he produced on both a national club level and a uh, team uh, club team level cannot be taken away. I will say that there is a very serious tinge of Steve Nash winning the NBA MVP in this Ballon d'Or award. He was terrific, but he got lucky that he had a really, really good year, although not a transcendent year, at a time where both Ronaldo and Messi are Ronaldo and Messi are both in decline, and the young guns like Mbappe just aren't there yet. Okay, this is. Luka Modric, slipping in there, just kind of sneaking in the door, grabbing the trophy, waving, taking the pictures, leaving, and as you pointed out, very possibly leaving Real Madrid in the dust on the way out. Uh, I would love to know what the odds of Luka Modric winning another Ballon d'Or are. I would start them at like 40 to 1. I don't see it ever happening Yeah, I think the odds are actually worse than that. But good for him. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the thing, Phil. We talked about this all throughout the World Cup. We knew that Messi wasn't going to be up for this award. Like, we knew that he was going to win it because of how badly Argentina flamed out. You could have made the case that Ronaldo carried Portugal to at least a somewhat respectable finish. Um, but Luka Modric deserved this because, you know, for it, it, you know, I've seen people say that it's unfair that it looks like the World Cup was the thing that really swung it in his favor, or maybe it was winning the Champions League. But quite frankly, nobody in in all of Europe did as much for their club and country as Luka Modric did. I mean, Luka Modric was responsible to a great extent for getting that Croatian national team to the World Cup final. And of course, he played a vital role once again in Real Madrid winning yet another Champions League title. There's just nobody who did anything comparable. You know, even if you wanted to say that 
Kellen Mbappe was was worth uh, voting for because he was such a lightning rod at the World Cup and he's carried that over in success for PSG. Well, that's fine, but PSG didn't come close to sniffing the Champions League final. Like, I don't know why people were surprised by this. You know, even with Ronaldo, like, I love Ronaldo, but like, it's not even like he got Portugal into the final four, right? Like, I think if he had done that, you get to a semifinal of the World Cup and, you know, he probably picks up a, a few more votes and it's not like a 300 point gap between first and second, but. Luka Modric deserved it, and and honestly, I for as great as he is, I feel like he's underrated, and so I you know I'm I'm happy for the guy. Just I, because you're such a huge Real Madrid fan, I decided to be gentle with this and compare Modric winning the Ballon d'Or uh, with Steve Nash winning the NBA MVP, as opposed to what I could have done, <clears throat> which is saying uh, that this is akin to Mark Mosley winning the NFL MVP in 1982. That's fine. That was eight years before I was born. I have no idea that who that is. He was a kicker for the Redskins. You could look it up. Okay. That's a fine note for us to go out on, I would say. Is that really how we're going to go out this week? Well, what else do you have in mind? I mean, we could give a quick shout out to Ada Hegerberg. And you might say, who is Ada Hegerberg? I don't know who that person is. Well, Russ, I'm here to tell you. She is the first ever (laughs) recipient of the women's Ballon d'Or. Did you know that this award was given out for the very first time in women's soccer in 2018? I did. Who says that world football is not progressive? Who says that world football isn't right on the pulse of the social mores of the times? (laughs) That we are now going to finally acknowledge the accomplishments of Lyon and Norway striker Ada Hegerberg. And by the way, she's got a great highlight reel. Uh, You just, you know, look her up on Twitter. Uh, or as you like to say, Google her. Um, you can pull up any number of highlights. She's a terrific striker and a, and a dogged scorer. And it seems like a very lovely woman. Now, are you familiar with the controversy that surrounded her reci- receiving this award? With Martin Solvig? Oh, yeah. Oh, why, yeah. Don't you share, why don't you share with our listeners what happened there? Because I don't want to say it because I might lose my real job in real time. Go ahead. Well, it's just Martin Solvig said, I believe in French, at the uh, ceremony you know, he said to, to Ada, can can you twerk? And That's she just right. looked at him kind of funny and dismissed him. And then in the aftermath of it, uh, Martin Solvig said uh, he is especially respectful with women and did not understand the American reference. Good save, buddy. When in doubt, <laughs> say that you didn't understand the culture. That's it. That'll not only that... Not only that, blame the Americans if you can find a way. If you can. And I like the fact that he said he's especially respectful of women. Uh, of course. I can't think of a better way to prove how respect, respectful you are of women than to hand the trophy to the first ever women's Ballon d'Or winner and ask her to, can frankly, shake her rear end for you. Can you twerk? That's very classy. No, no, no. Very that's classy. great. That's great that you did so many great things at Leon. But can you twerk? Yeah. Can that's you turn around for me? For. Right. Now, meanwhile... Uh, I made this uh, observation as well. How do you feel right now if you're Mia Hamm or Carly Lloyd or Michelle Akers or Abby Wambach? And that's just the American women, not to mention Marta and some of the other great women's players internationally. That's got to be crippling, right? Because you're still relatively young if you're any of those ladies that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. It's not that far removed from the height of your powers. This could have been you either receiving it for the first time or if it was the fifth time it was handed out, you could say, I won the women's Ballon d'Or. 
and it just didn't happen for them. They, they came along too late. Now, look, they won all kinds of other accolades. They won World Cups. They were named Women's Player of the Year. We could go on and on. But, Russ, Ballon d'Or has that hook to it, doesn't it? It's, it's got that, you know, cachet. It, it's just something that in the international football community, that phrase carries a heft that all those other titles that those ladies earned just doesn't have. So I, I think it's there's tough a, for those There's a certain way to it, Phil, but, like, I think ultimately you kind of have to go with uh, um, – the greater importance in in the scheme of uh, or in like the the ultimate world of of football, and I think if if you're one of those aforementioned players, I think you know while you might be disappointed personally, you are happy that the award is is now there and that that people and you feel you blazed the trail. I'm I'm with you on that. In other words, you created. If you're Mia Hamm, if you're Marta, if you're any of these players, you can say, look, I had my career. And I brought notice to this sport at a time when people really weren't paying attention to it. And it built upon itself over the course of decades. And now we finally have the recognition we deserve. And I think it's a great thing. Yep. I think that's a more positive way to go out. You think so? I think so. (laughs) All right. Very well. I saw what the last thing you had on the show sheet was. And I was trying to figure out if there was a way to to figure this or to to put it in here. And uh, I don't want to end on a down note. Yeah, let's pass. Yeah. I agree. All right. So we ended with uh, with some positive stuff. Do the stuff. outro. Yeah. Uh, you know. Give him my Twitter handle. Do you want me Spell to? Spell my name. Are you sure? Please. Don't go follow Phil. I'm just kidding. Go follow Phil on Twitter. That's uh, Phil Kaidel, K-E-I-D-E-L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Kaidel. Phil has a little bit of catching up to do now on the uh, the Twitter followers. I, uh, I, I hit four digits today, which was a very exciting day in my life. I don't know why it was exciting. It really shouldn't be that exciting. You've been working on it since you were 12. I know. Stop. That would be a thing. <laughs> this is this is the one thing that I, I always find funny is uh, um, there was a, a radio host in Philadelphia this week, and I, I will not mention who the person was, but they must have done something to piss off a, a whole large group of uh, Twitter Twitter users. Twitterati? Who then went, ooh, I like that, the Twitterati who went and um, dug up some old tweets. This is the thing I don't get. If you know that you're going to be a public figurehead, uh, somebody who's going to go work for a major radio station. I know you're talking about it. rhymes with dits. <sighs> See what uh, I did there? Yeah. If, uh, <laughs> that was pretty good. If you, that, was, that, was, that was just great. Uh, if, if you're going to be one of these people, I don't know why you would use an account that you've been using since you were like 15. It never ends well. People will mine your old tweets, and they're well, going to find since things. We have so many examples of not media people, but like athletes. athletes. Oh my god, who just, end up in college football, college basketball. I know, and and then they hit the game-winning shot. They're like an unheralded athlete, and at the game-winning shot, it should be the happiest moment of their lives. They make Sports Center, and then six hours later, they're being torn apart for something they tweeted when they were fourteen. Dude, this I mean, is like remember Ken Bone? I do. Yes. Poor Ken Bone. Sweater Everybody's guy. like, yeah, sweater guy. Nice red sweater. It was like, oh, That's he's so right. cute and lovable. And then they Not found so out much. what his uh, his internet search history was. And then he wasn't so cute and lovable anymore. Neither cute nor lovable. Disconcerting would be the word I would use with Ken Bone. Uh, rest in peace, Ken Bone, <laughs> wherever you are. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, uh, go check out the other shows in Crossing Broadcast Network. Uh, you can find all the links to those um, in the uh, description of this episode, as well as our Twitter handles, where you can find uh, Phil at Phil Kaidel 
and uh, myself at joy on broad uh, click on our uh, twitter handles there and you can follow us on twitter and that'd be swell uh, five star review oh yeah a, a nice review on itunes would be great uh, five star ratings are great five star reviews are even better we'll read your comments on the next show so that would be swell uh, leave leave one down there um, and ask some questions too. I mean, go ahead and ask me a question on Twitter. I'll get ask questions there. on Twitter. Phil is very active on Twitter, and he will be more than happy to answer. Tag us in it, whatever. And uh, if you didn't go check out our appearance on "It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia" with uh, Kevin Kincaid, make sure you go listen to that. If you're looking for a little bit more of a Philly flavor, but uh, I think we did an okay job today, Phil. I can't wait till next week. And since it's the uh, wee hours of uh, Wednesday morning, I believe it is time to go to bed. So until uh, next week, I'm Russ. That's Phil. Thanks for listening, and we will uh, talk to you again soon on Crossing Broad FC.